Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. I'm just going to dive right in today on our guest. She's amazing. Uh, Diane Israel is what I would call a reluctant visionary. She spent so many years conflicted about who she was and her role in this big, wide world. Diane excelled at movement. That's what she excelled at. And she became a standout runner and later a triathlon great. Um, until her need to control her life ultimately almost destroyed her. After years of uh, enduring an eating disorder and an athletic addiction, her body just simply stopped. And then she had to confront herself if she actually wanted to survive. And I think she actually asked herself that question. Um, this episode goes really deep at times and focuses more on the process of how she got where she is today than the struggles of the past. She's a... Uh, She's no longer in her 20s. You know, she's been through it and come out the other side. And you see, through it all, Diane actually became a healer of others. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Um, but first, she had to find peace and healing in herself, which she fully admits is still happening every day that she spends on this planet. But before we get rolling, I have some really exciting news because I got my first official podcast sponsor. So I want to tell you about them. Um, I have no idea how many of you have figured out the life insurance game, but Tim and I have always held back partly because we know we're really healthy, but we'd be paying as much as people who don't put an emphasis on health and fitness. And I'll be honest, it wasn't until we had Wilder, our daughter, that we actually made a will. <laughs> it was like on a list for a decade. And we finally did it. And, um, and then we started thinking more about our financial future. So I started looking around for life insurance that might actually take everything we do to stay healthy into consideration. And I found Health IQ my sponsor. Uh, I went on their website, I took their health quiz and an agent immediately called me. They literally looked up my race results for me on Athlinks and thankfully I did the Boulder Peak try last summer so I had a result. <laughs> but they use those results. So if you don't have something on Athlinks, you can upload Strava or RunKeeper or other app data so they can prove that you are actually active when they go out and seek quotes. So what they do is use science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health conscious people, including runners, cyclists, strength trainers, vegans, etc. Uh, 56% of health IQ customers save four to 33% on life insurance. So going through the process myself, it's actually been extremely convenient and we're excited to potentially save a lot of money. 
So anyway, to see if you qualify and get your free quote today at healthiq.com backslash RTW, that's going to stand for run this world, or mention the code RTW when you talk to an agent. Just please remember to share the code RTW so they know I sent you. Um, Since I'm in the process, I will be updating you throughout my upcoming episodes on how it goes. All right, back to the show. Um, So, Diane Israel. Remember her? I opened with her. (laughs) She, a little little more about her background. She's a former professional triathlete and a world-class runner. And today, she's a psychotherapist and a professor at Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado, And along the way, she created an award-winning film called Beauty Mark. It's absolutely amazing, powerful, emotional. And you don't get from one place to the next without quite a journey in between. And that's exactly what we talk about today is the journey. All right, then. I'm excited to welcome Diane to the show. Let's do it. Okay. Hold on. Will you keep talking for a second? Yes. So, so I am so grateful. I am so grateful. How, what are you grateful for? Um, well, every day what I practice is gratitude, a tremendous amount of gratitude, and I'm just grateful for everything. I'm grateful for my body. I'm grateful for this earth. I'm grateful for this opportunity. And I find that gratitude really helps um, my mind, really, really helps my mood. And I think I told you, Nicole, about that embraining book, you know, doing cool stuff with learning to do cool stuff with your multiple brains. It's been really helpful. Um, we're, this is really awesome because I was actually going to launch with what's your philosophy today? Like, how do you, how do you live your life today? What do you, what's your guiding light? And you might've just answered it. (laughs) Um, First of all, I just want to say hello to everybody, and I just again want to say I'm so grateful to be here. And I would say that my guiding light is to find meaning and simplicity in this life that we have all been given at this time, and to believe um, and believe in the possibility of what we as human beings are really um, capable of, what we're made up of. And, um, you know, today I was just walking this morning and I was thinking that really my philosophy is love. Um, Because what I can bring to anything that I do is kindness and love. That is so amazing because this wasn't always your philosophy. Maybe it was deep down, but from what I know and from what I've seen and the, the, you know, getting to know you and viewing the beauty mark and uh, watching some of your life's work, it's, it's been an evolution to get here, right? Whew. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I'm learning at almost 60 years old is that I was born a very, very highly sensitive um I guess what we might call it is um, sensory processing issues. And I know that a lot of people have this, and, and maybe it's labeled sensory processing disorder. And I'm just learning about this, but I was born in incredibly um, sensitive, 
you know, touchy-feely, kind of alive, emotional being into a family like so many of us who were born in the 60s and the 50s where there was no language of emotions, there was no time or energy for processing the self. And so I was really, like so many of us, this very lost uh, kind of like, what planet am I on, kid? And so to cope with this world that was so out of control to me and so uh, bizarre, I um, excelled in movement and I did not excel in school. And um, I, like many of us, have, quote, learning differences. Um, today, I would be labeled, I think, as you know, sensory processing disorder, ADHD, ADD, maybe on the autistic spectrum. But the amazing thing is that these are all gifts and they're unfolding for our lives, for all of us. This is the genius that's inside us. But if we don't have a container for it and we don't have an environment for it, um, we end up feeling really crazy. So, so you're born with these gifts, right? But they weren't looked at as gifts. You can only, you gained that perspective as you've gone through life experiences and landed where you are today, right? Um, how do you grow up then? Like you said, your coping mechanism was movement. Yes. Tell me totally. more about this. So at a very, very young age, I got accolades and you know, I was shining when I was moving. I was the happiest when I was climbing trees or fortunately at a very young age, I got a dog that I was running with and I started running at a very young age, thankfully in an active family. And those putting the story together as I put the story together in my later life, those were the places that I felt at home in myself. Those were the places where I could control my out-of-control environment, my out-of-control world. There was no language for this, and I, I know I'm not alone, but athletics became my addiction, and it became a way to self-soothe and self-regulate and to know myself and to feel okay in myself. Um, but for many of us, if it is an addiction, it runs us, and so... Um, my food and my athletics ran me for so many years until it didn't run me anymore, which was it was kind of taken away from me when my athletics was taken away from me from getting chronic fatigue and depleting myself so much. So um, this journey has been, you know, going on a long time. I know. And isn't it crazy? Like the thing that we think we love. So for you, it was athletics running and eventually triathlon and um, your control with food. I mean, this was driving you, right? And you like blew it. You did too much. You blew it. Yeah. Isn't that crazy how yeah. it, it's like that's, I, I don't know if I shared this with you, but um, I stopped drinking 10 years ago. And um, I think you may have some similar experiences with that. But I sometimes I look back, I'm like, I totally blew it for myself. I went too hard. <laughs> I like wanted to be the world champ in this thing and now I can't do it anymore. And then when you take away the can't, you say, I don't do it anymore. Right. I choose not to do it anymore because of the way that it affected my life, right? So can you look back 
on the on athletics and on your um, food and eating control issues and say, I'm happy with where I landed? Yes. Well, it's so interesting, Nicole, because when you said, you know, you, you said to yourself, I blew it. And then you said kind of like, we blew it or I blew it. I felt this grief and I felt this sadness. But what I felt the most was little Diane. And this is like little the little kiddo in every one of us. And that's what we do. That's what we do. Not only do we have our, our athletics taken away from us or, you know, we recognize, oh my God, you know, drinking was my savior, but it was, it wasn't good for me or my, my anorexia, you know, it was my savior, but it wasn't good for me. But then what we do is we beat ourselves up and we are champions. I mean, this type A driven athletic mania that we are, no, I don't want to judge it, but we are, whatever we do, we are extremists. So if we're going to beat ourselves up, we beat ourselves up. And I would say that's the shift in the last few years that I catch myself. Like if I get injured, my pattern right away is to say, Diane, you really screwed up, you shithead. And now you're not going to be able to go run. But I catch myself and I say, wait a minute. Oh my God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that I wasn't in touch enough to recognize that I just hurt myself and I love myself. And so maybe I'm injured now and I have to nurse that and take care of that. But I am so sorry. That's the difference. When I used to get injured, I was like, you're lazy. You're going to get fat. You're going to get out of shape. Get going and find a way, you know? So I've turned that like hatred and that, um, that's, that, that's, that drivenness to kindness, to kindness and compassion towards myself. And if we can't do it, Nicole, towards ourselves, it starts and ends with ourselves because we, we talk about being so kind and loving to others. But if this is going on inside us, it's going on inside of how we judge other athletes, other people, our family members. I mean, there's definitely a mirror going on here. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to talk about self-hate. Yes. Because I don't think we're born with it. Mm. How do we develop this? And there are many people listening who are relating to this. They're suffering because they're beating themselves up about something about themselves. And I want to help them if we can to have a conversation about maybe A, why, why you got where you are, but then B, how do you turn that hate, like you just said, into acceptance and then love? Yeah. You know, it's so complicated, but what comes up for me is that as little kids, we're so innocent and we're so unsure and we're just trying to navigate and we're so filled with love and joy and play. And we have to start blaming something to 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 try to make sense of the insanity and the complications and, and the ways that we don't get to be ourselves in our family of origin. None of us get to really be ourselves because we're being run by adults who, you know, they, they don't, they mean good, but they're just trying to be themselves, which isn't ourselves. So we start blaming and they start blaming. And then we, we, we develop this formula that it's all about blame. 
you know, and, and, but it's blamed towards ourselves. If only I didn't run so much, I wouldn't have fractured my foot. If only I had trained more, I would have won the race. If only I hadn't eaten those peanuts, I wouldn't have gotten a stomach ache for the, the race. And, and so we kind of abandon ourselves and, um, yeah, and we develop this judgment towards ourselves. And this is where the I believe the self-hate comes from. And you know, I was thinking of something, Nicole, a lot. I was talking to my partner, Lindsay, about this. I think the reason why men, and this is so like, I hate to be a little bit stereotypical, and I'm so open to, you know, the trans movement. But I just want to say from what I learned in my athletic career, that men seem to be able to stay on top longer, because they blame the equipment and stuff outside themselves that is so as to why they fuck up in a race. <laughs> and women blame themselves. We are wow. so much more critical. So I like totally fell from the sport because I was the source of the problem where I'd watch Dave Scott or Mark Allen or, or t- you know, Scott Tinley, you know, be able to much more easily say it was, you know, the water or it was my bicycle, you know, it was my bike or it was the, the strainer. Heat. The strainer didn't strain the cottage cheese good enough for Dave Scott. <laughs> Wasn't that his story? Oh, my God. I remember being in an apartment with Dave, and he was straining his tofu totally. and his 10 his Yeah, ten container. gotta get a better strainer. But, but yeah, yeah. I, you, this is dead on. I mean, hey, I can't speak to the guys out there, and I know that this you can't judge by gender, but I do know so many women who blame themselves. Yeah. We take it, we internalize it, and we beat ourselves up. Yeah. I, I don't really, you know, it's complicated and it'd be beautiful to study this and understand it more. But I noticed that as an athlete, I would find that the women would be on top. And I see it right now watching the Australian Open. You can just see the women's brains. You can just see how their brains and their thought processes completely sabotage their bodies. And, you know, it just they'll be doing so well and all of a sudden it's just like shit you know it's just like there must be messages going on because i've lived it myself you're not good enough you don't deserve to win you're the source of the problem you're not enough you're not lovable you're not beautiful you're you're too you know you didn't train enough you're too i i, I go back nicole to the weight thing because i know i mean it it's huge and you know, and I, I, when I made Beauty Mark, I was thinking, oh, this issue is just my issue, and it's not, you know, it's so. What's the words? It's so such a ridiculous issue compared to what other people are living with. But then, my my buddies, my colleagues came out with research around, you know, trying to do, um, you know, I what's it called. Um, decolonize our bodies and love our bodies, this whole movement towards social justice, social justice in our bodies. And the research around the world is hating our bodies, especially in the US, hating our bodies. And if we don't stop doing that, we can't come from a place of justice. So, so we are focusing a lot of this blame and judgment on the way we look. That's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I know. Uh, So would it be a blessing to walk this world maybe as a blind person? (laughs) And I've interviewed some blind people on the podcast, and they're 
you know, they see the world in a different way. Mm. I think, you know, for me, I use the media now as a gift and I use the culture as a gift to see how I'm doing in my own self, you know, because if I'm really critical of myself and I'm really judging myself, I know that and I'm and I'm obsessed or really influenced by the media, I know that I'm not doing as well within myself. So I think, Nicole, um, we just have to keep working this. But, you know, like, um, I'm going to forget her name, Naomi, like Naomi Wolf shared, um, we can't just, we live in this. We can't just isolate from this. So we have to find ways to raise our kids to talk about the honesty of how obsessed our culture is with women and body and all this and try to navigate it. Hopefully with, you know, Me Too and everything that's going on, we're going to create a new paradigm. I, we I, are hopefully creating it. I, I believe that it's unraveling. As we speak, it's like this is the time we're going to look back and be like, wow, this was time of major breakthroughs. And I, and I think maybe we can come back to this, but I actually want to talk a little bit more about how can we, hey, we're all who we are. We developed our own self-love or self-hate throughout our lives. Yeah. We're raising kids. Yeah. Like, what can we, do you pick this stuff up from your parents and from your family? Like, is there anything we can be doing to help form the most healthy children in the spiritual sense? That's a great question. We pick up everything, you know, we, we pick up everything from our families. We pick up everything as little kids. Kids are just so genius. They're so awake. They're so alive. They're so body, mind, gut, heart, everything. And so I just think that, um, you know, modeling, modeling, we have to be, you know, congruency. Congruency keeps families sane, you know, that what we say and what we do is the kids see congruency and they see sanity, not not having someone talk about it, but that they that it's modeled. So I, I think the, the work, you know, as as quote narcissistic as it sounds, it's narcissism at its best, which is being responsible, learning to take care of yourself, learning how you operate as a human being. You know, we spend so much time on trying to figure out and learn how everybody, everything else operates, but how much time do we spend on how we as human beings operate? And so as we are kind and loving and courageous and creative, we can model that for our kids. I think that's the best chance we've got. Oh, I love and letting, this. And Nicole, letting... Each kid, because I mean, I come from a family of four kids and we are all completely different. And I know that every kid in a family is completely different. Every kid in a family has completely, quote, different parents, how they relate and experience their parents. And everything is really a projection of our lives, of how we see things. So allowing each person's story to be real and to let parents be who they are too and stop apologizing you know we all we just have to be who we are you're so right you who else could you be exactly <laughs> i mean you know how hard it is to try to be someone you're not it's that's a lot of addiction. wasted energy that's the root uh, of addiction let's okay so let's go back to congruency because i just had this visual 
of a, a mom with a young child, girl or boy, doesn't matter, who's saying, you need to really love yourself. You're perfect in every way. And then she goes and looks at herself in the mirror, turns to the side, pulls up her shirt, looks at her stomach, which isn't completely fat and make flat, sorry, and makes a face in the mirror. And the kid sees that. Yep. And then they say, well, how? what does it mean to love myself when, is that loving myself? That's, so this is congruency, right? Exactly. And that's why I made this film Beauty Mark, because I think I shared with you, Nicole, that I was at Women's Quest with Colleen Cannon at these incredible camps. There were 17 mothers, and I we had the whole day, what do we want to work on? And they all said two things, fitting into smaller clothes and making sure our kids don't have eating disorders. Meanwhile, I'd say half of those 17 women had eating issues, major issues with food, which they were modeling every day, looking in the mirror saying, I'm fat, I'm ugly, and telling their kids, but I don't want you to do this. So that's incongruency. And the only way, and the other thing is the honest thing to do would have been to meet that little kid and say, I can understand that you feel fat because your stomach isn't flat. And really meeting her in, that's the craziness meeting her in, wow, yes, you do feel terrible. What does feeling terrible feel like? Where do you feel that in your body? Because feeling terrible goes into our minds and then feeling terrible goes into our bodies. So we feel terrible in our bodies when we feel shitty. We do. And so rather than saying, oh, you're so beautiful or it's not a problem, really, I think, Nicole, the the emotions are huge. And I love Carla McLaren, Carla with a K, McLaren, M-C-L-A-R-E-N. She has a book called The Language of Emotions. She has emotion cards. I use her work all the time. She's incredible. Hey, Carla, I love you. Thank you. And having a language, because that's another thing that's at the root of addiction, is there's no language of emotions, there's no room for emotions, and we're not supposed to have them. Meanwhile, we're all anxious, angry, um, you know, happy, intense, depressed, you know, whatever it is, but, you know, we're not supposed to have these things and feel these things. Well, and you get to a really, this is really interesting for me because my child is of the age where she's asking like getting to the very core of existence with every topic. So what is being happy? Happy is when you smile, but how do you feel? Like making you try to explain words that are really hard to describe because happy is what you use to describe other words. Right. So how do you describe that? Happy is not really an emotion. Happy is not really an emotion. And I love what Carla says. If you say, how are you? And somebody says, okay. Carla says, that's a fucking weasel word. (laughs) Okay. It doesn't tell me anything. She calls it fine. Fine is a big (laughs) weasel word. Fine is a big weasel word. What does fine mean? Fine, like fine, (laughs) fine, like elegance. (laughs) Fine, like fine. I don't know. So this is how we can help, you know? I love it. You know? Weasel words, man. I know. Okay. Don't you love that? We, we have to I link to Carla. It. I got to have her on the show, don't oh I? Oh, my God. Carla's incredible. Oh, you have to shit. have her on the show. Okay. I'll, get, I'll put you in touch. Done. Dr. Jill Bolte taylor too, will do oh, your show. Oh, oh, okay. My Stroke of Insight. She's oh, incredible. Yes. Okay. She'll rock this show. Mm. She's amazing. Okay. All right. So we've got some leads. <laughs> we got yeah. more conversations. Yes. Do you want to, um, 
let's let's talk a little bit. So when you came to Skirt Sports and did our awesome event, you said, you know, I've got neuroses. What are they? And why do we get them? And you said, I'm accepting my neuroses. This is who I am. It wasn't that you were done fighting them, yeah. right? Yeah. So like I want to I want to I want to help people be able to recognize and give like a nod to the fact that we are all really unique and we have these things that might be a little awkward or weird or whatever and then show them some love and accept Beautiful. them. You know, my teacher, Bruce Tift, who I love so much, and he wrote an incredible book, Already Free. He's just an amazing human being. Neurosis, his language, and, you know, with neurosis is, you know, we're all neurotic, and it's actually all our neuroses have saved our lives, just like all our addictions have saved our lives. They may kill us, but in a way, they've saved our lives. And neurosis is just. A, a, a sane way as a little kid to try to find sanity in a home that is dysregulated. That's all a neurosis is. And we can turn our neuroses as we heal. Mostly, Nicole, it actually hap happens more in our like 40s when we recognize that the these patterns, these neurotic patterns that we've been like walking around and kind of have been running our lives. Wait, in our 40s? In our 40s. Oh boy. They stop really working. And it's in our 40s that we start to really get to shed these patterns and wow. say, you know, I've done this this drinking or I've done this this sex or I've done this, you know, smoking for 40 years. And it was a way to cope and it's a way to soothe, but it doesn't work for me anymore. Or I've yelled at my partner for 20 years, you know, or I've um, I've just been an asshole. You know, that's what I learned to do. I learned to be an <laughs> asshole. I learned to be an angry human being all the time or really frustrated or annoyed. But th th those are really not who we are. They're just cover-ups for how we learn to cope. I'll just be the angry kid. I'll just be the clown. I'll just be the peacemaker. I'll just be the, I'll just be the um, caretaker and become a psychotherapist of the family. Okay, well, so if... Here's another way to look at it. If they haven't killed us by then, by our 40s, then we finally, a light bulb goes off. Then it's time to change. These things aren't working anymore. Some people it kills by 40. Yeah. Whew. We're changing all the time and we're really changing, especially like you and I, Nicole, and, and everyone, you know, listening when we have, when we, when, when things change us, you know what I mean? Like, my athletic career was my greatest joy and my greatest suffering in my life. And I would never do anything differently than I've done honestly with my life and my addictions and everything else. But um, I forgot what I was gonna Wait, say. you hit something. Why does our greatest joy often bring us the greatest suffering? You know, light and dark. It's just, um, it, it, it's the intensity of our lives. And we, we're so quick to judge the shadow or the darkness of our lives. But that's, you know, we don't have day without night. We don't have light without dark. So it's beautiful. But we've just, we live in a very dualistic, good and bad culture. We're all conditioned that way. So we see, you know, athletics is good and 
you know, the pain and suffering of it bad. And it's not. It's like if you ask, I'm sure everybody listening, they would say, oh, my God, I went through the hardest times of my life around my alcoholism or my sex addiction or my athletic addiction. But, oh, my God, it's made me who I am. And it and the complexity and the and the textures of it has given me my life. Yeah. No, so true. So nothing to get rid Ooh. of. You know, this, I'm going to get over it. Um, that's abuse. That's really self-abuse. This so, idea that I'm going to get over it. What are we getting over? I mean, I've been working as a therapist 30 years. And when people that. first came to therapy, they were like, hey, Diane, I want to get rid of this. And I want to get rid of that. And I'm like, come to me. I will help you get rid of it. And then I started to realize, <laughs> oh my Lord, you know, whoa. It's about giving it a big hug. It's about giving it a oh, big hug. Man. It's about it's about loving on it. It's about loving on it. But you know, but even if you, you can you can hope to love on it, you know, it's um you don't have to love on it. I mean, a lot of us can't love on it. So it's it's about really Nicole being genuine. And I'll go back to one of the first things I said when you asked me what my philosophy is, back to simplicity. Because personally, I can't handle the complexity of the outside of this environment. I find it really difficult. So I I guess I'm addicted to the complexity of the internal environment to stay sane in a culture that's gone noisy. Oh, crazy. Crazy. Um, Let's go back in time and talk, because this is just amazing. Like, I love this conversation. I love all these deep points. And I want to go a little bit back in time um, to your childhood, maybe paint a little bit of a picture. And while you are explaining a little bit of maybe the dichotomy between your parents and, you know, your siblings, I'm going to grab something to show you afterwards. Okay, so let's start rolling. I was thinking about this the other day. And, um, my childhood, you know, was very, very mixed. I had wonderful parents. I grew up very in a very comfortable home. We had we laughed sometimes. We had fun together. We were able to enjoy New York City a lot, the arts, the theater. Um, my parents, again, were very kind and loving, incredible human beings. And I was born Diane Joy Israel. And I feel like I came out in, uh, how I think about it sometimes is I was put on a football field without knowing what to do, where to go, how to get home, how to deal with anybody who came to the field and I was just like kind of like what the heck have I just you know what have I gotten into and this turned into at a very young age being worried and afraid of everything because I think I was trying to find safety and home within myself and within my family but I didn't feel that This is really from the time I was born, and I had a very difficult birth, too. I was breached. The cord was around my neck. I broke my mom's water. Um, It was, from the start, it was really tough. So I, looking back now at almost 60, I can't blame anything or anybody. Just Diane Joy Israel born, like so many of us, just kind of like, 
whoa, where am I? What's going on? And that then I found my way, you know, through if I'm the greatest athlete, then I will be okay. You know, if, if I control my food, then somehow I'll be okay. But truthfully, I was, I'll tell you what I was afraid of. Everything to do with transportation, everything to do with sleepovers, everything to do with um, whether my mom and dad had their keys and were going to come home, everything to do with the elements like lightning and thunder and things I couldn't control, fireworks, all kinds of things. But um, the athletics was a way and the food was a way, now looking back on it, that created some kind of safety, some kind of sanity, some kind of a container for me. And of course, nature. From from the time I was born till the time I die, nature is the sanctuary that I hold on to and I go to for sanity and simplicity. Well, and it's interesting because the eating and the athletics, those are things that theoretically you could control. A lot of the other things you mentioned are like dependent on other things. But nature, you don't control. Yeah. But yet, it you it called to you. It's a part of your soothing, and right? it doesn't control us. I mean, it does with storms and insane weather, but it's natural, you know. And it's so beautiful. And so to this day, you know, I was thinking about this too, Nicole. I I have changed, and I want to say to the listeners, in so many ways, I haven't changed, and a lot of my fears, and a lot of my worries have just been projected on different things but what has changed is my toolbox what has changed is my compassion towards myself what has changed is turning the hate towards myself and the judgment into more compassion and love what has changed is whoa what a life you've lived instead of like fuck you Mm -hmm. that's what's changing and I'm not all the time that, but I will tell you too, Nicole, I had a near death experience at 17 from heat stroke. And I thank God was brought back to life. And then I recently had with the death of my father this last year, I feel like I had another quote near death experience. So these kind of things that almost kill us. And I know listeners know this, whether we've overdosed in whatever way we've overdosed We've all overdosed. Um, if we make it through, I think it builds, I hope it builds compassion. Well, how did you, we didn't quite nail this. How did you turn that self-hate into self-love and compassion for self and others? How did you do it? I think it's practice, practice, practice every day. Maybe it's my new sport. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, 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 it's a muscle that we have to practice. We have to, pra- it's a muscle that we have to practice every day. I'm, nothing's done. Nothing's finished. You know, I say in beauty, Mark, the finish line is the gift of life. There is no finish line other than this amazing gift of life. And enlightenment isn't a place you get to and there's all this light. Enlightenment is everything we're talking about. Enlightenment is including everything, the dark, the light, the kindness towards ourselves, the hate towards ourselves, the mistakes we make. Um, that's really what it is. We're messy. You know, my teacher Bruce says we're messy and we're unresolvable. 
And then he taught me something great too. When shit hits the fan the most, so what? So what? You know? But we are so messy. We are so unresolvable. We are so complicated. And that's why we also need simplicity like nature. Well, and so stop trying to, like stop trying to not let the shit hit the fan. Like let it hit it. Exactly. That's the freedom. That's the freedom that we actually, you know, Lindsay and I say this every day to each other. Life is helping us. Life is helping us. We keep saying, ah, why is this happening? (laughs) And then you just stop and you say, life is helping us. I was just feeling so good and everything was so calm and then Wilder or Lindsay in the house just starts screaming or or Tim starts screaming and we're like, you ruined my day. I woke up so peacefully and I just had the most incredible meditation and now that construction site is drilling. That The drilling never stops in Boulder. It's, and this noise, I am so sensitive to noise and I could blame... All of Boulder on my <laughs> on my neuroses and and my bad mood, but if we keep doing that and everything is a blame, <laughs> we're miserable. Okay, is there are there any wasted emotions that we should try not to have? No, I mean try it. Try not to <laughs> That's a try good point. it. Try it. The more we fight anxiety, the more we fight anger, the more we fight frustration, the more we fight depression. I think the more we feel it. So it's welcoming it. And listen, I'm, we're talking about really hard things. Oh, I yeah. mean, there are people listening to this who are probably in bed, incredibly depressed on medication for depression. And it's not simple. It's, you know, depression's really complex. And these things are complex. They're chemical. Mm-hmm. They're emotional. They're, they're related to uh, relationship. They're related to our internal relationship. You know, and I I uh, had a therapist that I was going to a while back who used to say uh, she wanted to make a shirt that said, fuck guilt, because she thought that was a wasted emotion. Get over it, in other words, right? Like, stop feeling guilty. There, It's a not a positive emotion to carry around with you. What do you think about that emotion? Well, I think that shame is really the emotion. Shame True. Is, Shame is, there's two kinds of shame that Carla talks about. One is healthy shame. Healthy shame is like if you're married and you're going around and you know fucking around every day and you come home and you're starting to feel shame or guilt, that's healthy shame. But unhealthy shame is the shame that is put on us by others and then we internalize it. And we it, it's all that, um, that, you know, self-judgment and shame is us. Shame is something that I am shame. Guilt is we're guilty about something. So, so guilt, you know, I I don't agree. I I don't agree. I, I, I say welcome. We, I, I say we have to just, you don't have to welcome it, but I just say, this is the, the, the pot that we've been given as human beings. You know what, what I realized, Nicole, I think the only difference between being alive and dead is that we're not feeling this stuff. When we're dead, we don't have to deal with the enormity of, of these emotions. And my mom says to me from death, she literally talks to me and she says, don't wait. Don't wait for death. Don't, you know, she, th- this is a joke that Lindsay and I have, but once we're in death, we're thinking, 
we, we had this conversation. Why didn't you feel more? Oh, why didn't you let yourself cry more? Yeah. Why didn't you let yourself be more alive? Because in death, I think that's what goes away. Possibly. We don't know, but we're all so afraid to be alive in the enormity of who we are. So that's to me the root. If we mm-hmm. talk about simplicity, it may seem complicated right now talking about this because most people don't talk about it, but simple is letting yourself feel. That's really simple. Really complicated is constantly maneuvering and manipulating something that you're not. Like, oh, I'm angry right now, but I should feel happy. I shouldn't hate Tim right now. That's complicated. Mm -hmm. Well, and this actually, this whole concept possibly turns us back around to the Me Too movement, right? This is where people are bottling up, having told themselves that these emotions they felt through actions or other things that happened in the past, um, that they shouldn't feel them. So here we go. We're in the current moment and somebody pulled the plug on the bottle and everybody's starting to feel this emotion coming back out. Right. It sh- we were all told that it's it's not a big deal or it's not real or, you know, this is what happens to women. And one thing I want to say is it's incredibly real. And the other thing I want to say is, you know, Einstein's quote, and I can't, I'll, I'll mash it up, but the things that got us where we are and how we are are not the same things that are going to get us out. We need different solutions. And my hope is I am so into this Me Too movement, but I'm also hope that we can do it as women differently. I I don't want to meet it with the same violence and aggressiveness and aggression Mm -hmm. and hate that created it. That's my hope. And I believe that we can move into higher order by the things we're talking about. Because to me, at the root of this human condition and this human problem is blame. And so if we, we, we need, there's, there needs to be, the pendulum's going to swing and we need to become empowered as human beings and we will blame and hold people, see, I think there's a difference between that, holding people accountable. And I think we have an opportunity now to do, to soar in this feminine movement, you know, in this and move beyond this aggressive, um, hostile, uh, hyper masculine. That's what I think is taking our earth down, whether you're, because this goes beyond men and women to me. This is about really talking about the masculine and the feminine that lives inside each of us. Yep, it does. And, you know, Maybe we can swing it back around even to the female athlete, mm, right? Yeah. This is uh, the thing I want to grab for you. Hold on a sec. <clears throat> Dropped it on the floor. Okay. 1994, my senior thesis. This is what I wrote about and what I was interested in at school. It's called The Female Athlete, an Oxymoron. You'll have to read it. Oh my god! You don't have so to read the I whole thing. Read it's it. totally. I want to like, read the whole thing. It's really bad writing, and not, I, I got a B minus, whatever. But the point is, there's some really interesting parts in this, and the the issue that I struggled with was this pressure that society was putting on women to be feminine, and it was skinny, it was passive, it was welcoming and generous, and all those things that female woman should be, and then athletes to be an athlete you needed aggression you needed muscles you needed power 
you needed single-mindedness and some selfishness, right? And those two were really at odds. And uh, I did a study. I studied my fellow athlete, female athlete friends, and even uh, had them go through like a questionnaire on body image and eating disorders. Isn't this interesting? Wow. And, uh, and you know, got a B minus. It was fine. <laughs> Whatever my, my professor really didn't understand. He wasn't a woman. But um, <laughs> I looked back through this thing and I thought, oh my gosh, so much of it still applies. Yes. We've come a long way. Yeah. But there, there is still something going on that, especially for female athletes and most of the people listening to this podcast, fitness and health are a big part of their lives. So they may not be doing an Ironman, but they're out there trying to get their miles in, right? And so they understand. So, you know, I was thinking about you as a budding runner and then triathlete. And, you know, I was thinking about sport for you. And if it was this, if you loved the sport, or if you just loved something else, else that allowed you to be an athlete i don't know yeah that's a great question. do you get what i'm saying i totally get what you're questioning well first of all i just want to say to the listeners i grew up in the 60s where it, from from my view from my life you could not be a quote girl and be a great athlete um we didn't have that and when I started running races, I started running with my dad and my brother when I was eight years old and jogging and learning about Kenneth Cooper and aerobic fitness. And there were no trophies. So the early races that I did, if there was a trophy that one of the boys or men didn't pick up, they would give it to me. Nobody ever thought I was a girl running in the early races that I did, the road racing that I did. And then fortunately, I found Greater New York and the running team with some of the pioneer women of women's running, Nina Kusick, Catherine Switzer, Marcy Schwamm, uh, Sharon Barbano. These were the greatest runners that you know, that we had um, at our time in this country, some of the greatest runners. And um, anyway, in my mind, it was a complete uh, mind. I, all I can say is in my mind, it was a complete mind fuck because the only way I knew that I could be a great athlete was to be a boy. That's, that's the only thing. So in the film, Beauty Mark, which hopefully will be streamed on Amazon very soon, um, Amazon will be streaming Beauty Mark. In the film, I say I got my first period at age 30, and that's true because I tried very hard to be a boy. In today's world, I would have transitioned probably and taken hormones to be a boy, but I'm grateful I, I'm who I am today. And But there was no... There was no language. There was no container. There was no, no nothing for young girls to be girls. Could, wait, could you do that now? Transition. I mean, have you thought about it? Yeah, no. As an adult, no, I, I, I think I think you can transition. Fortunately, for people who want to transition, probably at most age, you know, ages. But I, I feel very at home in who I am now. Mm -hmm. I'm very blessed from so much self-hate and so much, I just want to say to the listeners, it's possible because I am so comfortable in my skin now. And I the, really am. Like this room, I could just sit in here with you all day because the mm. energy that you emit mm. is exactly how you say you feel. But I bet if you go back in time to 
15, 16, 17, 20 years old, you're probably not emitting that same energy in a room. <laughs> no, not at all. And I want to say to the listeners that um, I think I think young people need tremendous support in what we're talking about, Nicole, to find this congruency. And hopefully more and more, uh, you know, I'm not in the world of sports so much these days, but hopefully more and more we can support each kid to be who they are, whether they feel like a tomboy, whether they want to transition to a boy, whether they feel like a girl, that's the thing. If we can just be a little bit more fluid with, with all of that. Um, and I, I hope that there's, I know there's there's going to still be struggle. There still is struggle, but I think there's so much more opportunity because of folks like Lorraine Muller and um, the the greatest you know young athletes who ran in the Olympic trials to get us. I happen to be in that race. That really? I, yeah, I took twenty oh fourth. Oh, that race you with guys! Lorraine. So <laughs> Lorraine's a former podcast guest. You'll have to check out her episode too. This yeah. is like amazing. Yeah. So so you became a champion athlete runner and then you became a triathlete you got injured first from running right yeah like pretty badly lots of stress fractures low bone density lots of injuries and then you know triathlons for me was three times the addiction you know because oh yeah of course yes (laughs) (laughs) but could you swim like was that uh, hard to get going because you know runners uh, transitioning to swimming is a tough uh yeah thanks to jane scott (laughs) And masters swimming, I learned a lot. You made it to Boulder. Yes. Yeah. And I really, I wasn't a good swimmer. I didn't, I mean, I grew up going to the beach once in a while, but I never grew up swimming. So I worked really hard yeah. to become a swimmer. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I just want you to tell this story about how you met Colleen Cannon, because it, it shows where and who you were at that point in your life. Um, but by, before we do that, we'll give a small shout out to the treat you just brought for us today that we're both eating. You guys can't even tell that we're eating right now. What'd you pick up for us today from local business? <laughs> okay. So I went to Alpine Modern, which is on the corner of 9th and College Street and very close to my home. And I've gotten pretty addicted to their porridge, their quinoa porridge. It's, it's like having a, an incredible nourishing bowl of cereal. It is, but it um, feels like it's filled with protein, and I love it. Very soothing, like baby food. Oh, yum. And by the way, we're also drinking the tea spot. I mean, we're just we're doing it up here. Yeah, I amazing. love supporting local. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think. Um, yeah, you know, I'm also, I'm, I'm also checking out a lot of the different grocery stores around Boulder these days because I started to feel that... Um, you know, Whole Foods didn't necessarily have the best organic food. And I actually found incredible organic produce at Safeway. And um, so I'm, I'm really looking to like support many different stores and figure out, you know, where is the best place to shop. And I know. Try That's to a eat. whole nother podcast, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. So you guys will remember that I did an episode with Colleen Cannon, who we've already mentioned, who's the founder of Women's Quest. And uh, her episode was called something like chickens, watermelon, and how women are going to save the world. You know, she is, she's just crazy and fun and has all kinds of good energy, right? So you imagine this woman, crazy fun, all kinds of good energy. She's a champion triathlete. And here comes Diane Israel. (laughs) I think in your first, second triathlon, maybe ever? Uh, Probably. Young punk kid. Mm-hmm. So grew up in New York, um, 
very, like I shared earlier, insecure, uh, scared, worried, fearful. And I show up at this, maybe the first or second triathlon that's USTA, you know, kind of pro. And um, I see these two beautiful, hunked out women, blonde, like unbelievably fit women. And I am feeling incredibly insecure. And in those days, we put either an A or B or C on our swim caps. Of course, A, if you're a great swimmer and C, if you're the worst swimmer. And I was just learning to swim and I put a C on my cap and then I walked over and saw Colleen and Phyllis Hines, this other great athlete, and they both had put A's on their swim caps. And now I'm shaking in my boots, you know, I'm shaking in my feet. And I look at Colleen and I had met her, I think a few minutes earlier in line or something. And I look at her and I look her in the eyes and I say, I'll beat you on the run, fucker. I'll beat you on the run, fucker. And then, and then of course, because I'm so insecure and because I'm so scared of everything, after I said that, I was even more scared because I had done something that's my biggest fear in my life, which is to disappoint another human being. That's my biggest fear in my life. I do not wow. want to disappoint people. And so I said that to her and she looked at me with her Southern accent and was like, what the hell, girl, you know? Well, long story short, <laughs> she and Phyllis were like number one and two in this race. I was third. The whole race, I was so disturbed in myself, so disturbed that I went right up to her afterwards and congratulated her and apologized and said, Colleen, I am so sorry. And, you know, I was 21 years old. I didn't know what had hit me. I wasn't self-actualized at all. I didn't know what the heck I had done, but I apologized. And from then on, long story short, we actually became best friends. And Colleen moved to Boulder so that we could live together. I just can't stop laughing Mm -hmm. because you had to say fucker at the end of that. Oh my God. I mean, if someone came up to me and said that right before a race, I just, I mean, it, (laughs) there is something about, you just described it perfectly. You know, you, you do those things coming from a place of insecurity. That's what it is. Boom. And it taught you something during the race. And look, it brought you one of your greatest relationships in your life. Well, Lorraine, Jeez. Colleen, Lorraine, Colleen Cannon, Lorraine Muller, we've all come through all this together, you know, and arrived here oh, together. Yeah. And yeah, Colleen is amazing. And we've been great support for each other. And yeah, just huge lessons from that. So, um, you know, eventually your your athletic career, you know, it broke, right? You You burned yourself out through self-hate, basically. Uh, starving yourself, controlling your food, um, training too much, all of that. And you said at the very beginning, your athletics were taken from you, right? I mean, you kind of, but you take responsibility for it. So the healing process began because it had to, right? And today you're a healer Mm. by trade. Mm -hmm. This is what you do. Mm. You're a psychotherapist. You are a professor. 
I saw the way those kids looked at you and the respect they had for you Mm -hmm. um, at the event we did at Skirt Sports when a bunch of your students came um, to support you. Mm -hmm. Incredible, warmed my heart. And they were really insightful. You're teaching them incredible Mm -hmm. things. And not just them, but in your practice. Um, I just want to hit on a little bit, like how did you get to this place where you have become the healer? Well, first, when Nicole was talking, I just wanted to say to you all, I love you and I love humanity. I really do. No matter <clears throat> no matter what, what display, you know, we're doing, and I really mean that. You know, I worked with domestic violence perpetrators Uh, women and men who were arrested for violence for almost 20 years. And I have to say that that was one of the highlights of my life, to find kindness and compassion. But again, not excuse the behavior and not hold everybody accountable for the the behavior. Um, But, you know, I think when Nicole asked me this question, all I can say is through suffering, through 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 living the enormity of what it is to be human has you know I'm waking up I'm waking up and I feel so much gratitude and when I say I'm waking up I'm waking up to everything like we've been talking about it's not like I'm getting over anything anymore you know i'm just being kinder to all the things that are difficult and on that note i'm starting to have fun <laughs> that is the key because there hasn't been a lot of i'm a i've i have to say i was a very serious kid and i'm a very serious person and i'm learning how to have fun but you know fun for me nicole because i don't drink and i don't use drugs and et cetera, et cetera. Fun for me is, you know, being able to play in nature and with a, a healthy body again. Fun for me is sitting with you right now. Fun for me is cooking a beautiful stir fry with um, salmon, you know, with Lindsay. It's simple. I, I'm returning to this theme of simplicity. And we're opening up in Netherland with Jill Drevers. We're opening up I probably said Jill's last name wrong, but with the help of Justin's peanut butter, with Justin's, we're opening up the Wild Bear Nature Center in Netherland on the highway. I think it's 119. Wow. And it's we're going to be leaving our shoes and technology at the door. Wow. And it's going to be tree houses and using our bodies and our minds and our hands and returning to nature and learning about bugs and trees and birds. We're going to have a bird room to listen. And I'm so excited. I don't even know how I got off on that, but that's something locally that's going to happen with the help of this community. The first Boulder County in Nederland, but also Boulder County Nature Center. All right. We're going to have to do a live video tour of that facility. Um, did that answer? Wow, it how did. I got to this. It yeah. did. And, and so one last thing, Nicole, I work now. Um, my brain, our brains at the best is creativity and service. That's when we're in the least trouble in our minds, when we're serving others and when we're creative. So that's a lot of what I try to do with my brain, with my heart. I work on compassion and kindness. And with my gut, I work on being courageous. Oh, I love that. You mentioned you're waking up. I 
think maybe people listening could benefit from hearing some of this. What does it feel like to be asleep? And what does it feel like to be awake or awakening? Asleep feels like a bad dream that we're fighting. And awake feels like a good dream or a bad dream that we're leaning into and accept and and we may not accept it but a bad dream is fighting everything and trying to get rid of the darkness and trying to be something we're not and waking up is coming home to everything that we are and we always were i love that that's amazing that's it. I mean, you know, Wilder, Nicole, Tim, Lindsay, Diane, my sister Lynn, Colleen, Lorraine, we're, we're just who we are. And we've always only been that. And we, we have to spend our whole lives returning to that. Because, again, what we've been talking about. But how we can do this differently is including everything from the start. Yes. If that makes sense. It does. And as parents, that's what we need to be aiming towards with our kiddos. I think so. And letting them be Mm -hmm. and letting them be who they are and it will trigger I mean, you parents are incredible. I'm not a parent. What teachers, you know, are, are the people we're closest to is where the greatest practice is. Every day with my partner Lindsay, every day with my siblings. Um from afar now in death, my parents, that's that's where we're going to get triggered. That's where we get hooked. You know, Bruce said to me one day, he goes, Diane, you look so good with your students and your friends because you look so <laughs> terrible at home. <laughs> oh my God, that is hilarious. Let's, uh, I want to do one more topic and we've already been over an hour. We're going to run two 5Ks for this uh, episode. Um, you mentioned having your health back or having your ability to move back and you have become sort of obsessed with and somewhat of an expert on hands and feet and I want you to share that philosophy a little bit with everybody beautiful I am so grateful that through the work of gyrotonic and Emma Kingston who um, has taught Lindsay and I this hands and foot work and basically, it's really waking up our hands and feet because these extremities are what allow us to move so well. Without our feet, and we all know this no matter what sport, without our hands, it's really, um, and I'm, as I'm saying this, I want to be inclusive to everybody who lives with, you know, disabilities because they, incre- with amazing courage and their own ways, find ways to move. But this is about alivening and keeping um, the life force in our hands and our feet and really taking um, very immaculate care and love of our hands and feet. And this is what I try to do with every body part I own, not I own, every body part that I have (laughs) that's been gifted to me, I try to treat like a temple 
because it's so incredible that it still works at almost 60 years old after what I've done. So Lindsay and I are offering hands and foot classes throughout Boulder, and we've, we haven't put the schedule together, but Nicole, we would love to teach hands and feet. Oh at skirt sports and do classes for hands and feet. And even if you work on your own hands and feet and just awaken them and work on them and massage them and, um, you know, just do everything you can imagine with your hands and feet, your whole being will feel more alive. Oh, and I have seen people take a slow decline and watch their hands curl and their toes curl and start to lose dexterity. And you're right, like... We need to look at every part of our bodies as a gift and not take them for granted. And so I love this philosophy. You did a little hand and foot exercise with us and my mom was in attendance. Yeah. She told me afterwards, she goes, when she, when she does that class, I'm flying out from Savannah. <laughs> She's oh coming God. out. Let's do it. Yeah. And this is a way, Nicole, that we can work on kindness. And this is a way that those of us who aren't running or doing triathlon training anymore can spend a few minutes on the when we're on the computer or watching a show just to start to aliven the, the depth of the nerve endings of where um, our fingers originate and where our toes. So it's like really going deep into those areas. Yeah. And really just my, my teacher, my movement teacher says, how much would you pay when you're working on yourself? How much would someone pay for this? So the, you know, really treating yourself like you're doing this, you know? That's a really good point. With, with care, with like- you Pay yourself. Yeah. hundred bucks an hour, man. Yeah. um all right we we could keep going forever and this has just been such a amazing fun Mm. interview it doesn't feel like it's just a conversation we need to do this more but we are going to wrap it today for the sake of time because we have amazing amazing busy lives that are full of incredible things that we're both going to go on to do today right yeah and nicole before we end i have to say you are incredible you are a huge gift to the women's world to the to the to the world to the world of sport to the world of conversation um i am so grateful i've met you and thank you for doing this thank you oh my gosh let's just keep launching more and more in any way I can give back to you and support you because you've completely inspired me. Oh my gosh, right back at you. And I so thank you. I take it and I appreciate and love that um, you're giving me those kudos because it does feel good. And my goal and my mission is to help bring women together and help them find happiness. That's it. Simple. You're doing it. Simple. Simplicity. Your goal is alive and well. That's another thing. <laughs> we ha- we as humans, we as women, it's now, it's in the present, and it's how we speak. Because it's, it's you're doing it now. You're living it now. So more now equals more. Oh, I love it. Thank you. All right. Well, there's one final question I ask every guest. And that is, if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice one final nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Hmm. You count. You're beautiful the way you are. You are loved. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole. All right, guys. Wow. That was such an awesome episode. I just love so much about our conversation. 
Uh, how about that part where Diane was talking about weasel words? So hilarious and so true. Or I, this other part where she said, it's not until most of us are in our 40s when we are forced to confront our old crap and find new ways to cope because the old ways stop working. How true does that feel to those of you who are in the 40 plus club? (laughs) It definitely rang true with me. Honestly, I could continue to highlight my favorite parts, but I would literally rehash the entire episode. So instead, I'd love for you to send me a note on uh, through my website, nicoledeboom.com. You can contact me there or post on my Facebook page with your thoughts on this episode. Um, At the end of the day, her final nugget really brought us home. You count, you're beautiful the way you are, and you are loved. Before I sign off, I wanna remind you about my new sponsor, Health IQ. It's honestly like, you know how in car insurance you save money for being a good driver? With Health IQ, you save money on life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. It's so cool. I know all of you work hard on your health and fitness, so if you're curious about life insurance to see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com backslash RTW or mention the promo code RTW when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Just don't forget to share the code so they know I sent you. All right, everyone, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.